Hello and welcome to Love Thy Lawyer, where we talk to real lawyers about their lives in and out of the practice of law, how they got to be lawyers, and what their experience has been. I'm Lewis Goodman, the host of the show, and yes, I'm a lawyer. Nobody's perfect. He is a veteran of the Alameda County District Attorney's Office. He has tried over 60 cases to jury verdict, including numerous felonies, murders, and a special circumstances death case. He has taught and lectured internationally on effective case resolution in Brazil, Malaysia, India, and Turkey. He is a member and former president of the Charles Houston Bar Association. He was recognized by the Alameda County Bar Association as Distinguished Lawyer of the Year, and he is a published author. Daryl Stallworth, welcome. Thank you, Lewis. My pleasure to be here. Daryl, where's your office right now? Oakland, on the corner of 24th and Broadway. Are you able to get down there now, or do you have to work mainly from home, or is a little of both? Ten years ago, I was looking for a smaller place to set up my own practice, and I found these lofts right on this corner next to this bakery. I built a loft into an office space, and it's been serving me well because I spent a lot of time here, and I haven't had any problem getting in and out because of COVID-19. It's been pretty stable. Great. That's good. And what kind of practice do you have? 90% criminal defense, a little bit of civil, barely 10%. That's what it is. How long have you been practicing law? It'll be almost 30 years. Wow. 10 years as a prosecutor, and I'm in my 14th year as a criminal defense attorney. Where are you from originally? I grew up in Compton, California. I tell my kids that I'm straight out of Compton, though my daughter doesn't think that I um, have the Compton swag and I've lost my accent, but that's where I was born and raised, Compton, California. Where did you go to high school? Did you go to high school in Compton? I went to high school in Watts, not far from Compton, in a small all-boys private Catholic school called Verbum Day, which is Latin for the Word of God. How was that experience? It was amazing. My older brothers had gone there, and I had done K through 8 at St. Albert's Elementary School. My family and my parents are from the South, and when they moved to California, they converted from Baptist to Catholic, and we were always in the uh, Catholic Church going into Berman Day from out of St. Albert's was a good transition for me and my brothers. What was it like growing up in Compton as a really bright kid and academically interested? You know, you hear things, and I, I'm just wondering what that experience was like for you. I was fortunate to be in Compton in the 60s and the 70s, where a lot of people like my parents had migrated from the South and started building their own businesses. My father owned and managed his own auto repair business. My mom worked for Zerbox. My uncles owned their own TV repair shops. And there were a lot of entrepreneurs in the 60s and 70s. And they bought homes and we were doing and having the best life that you can imagine. Unfortunately, in the 80s, when I was finishing up high school, um, crack epidemic took place. And what Rival gangs that were fighting for territory and trying to make their money and their hustle, they also acquired all of these assault weapons. So the Compton started to get the reputation that a lot of people see regarding gang warfare, 
drive-by shootings and all the things that they were depicted for. But truth be told, you know, 85% of the people that were in Compton were there because it was a good place to transition out of the South. Good families, great sports. I played baseball, basketball, football, Pop Warner, Sheriff's League. Really good time um, up until we ran into the the crack epidemic and the drive-by shootings. After you got out of Verbum D, you went to a college. Did you go directly to college or do anything in between? I did. I left in 1983 and I headed to the University of California out of Compton. And I tell this story and it's true. I grew up in a community, in a city that was primarily African-American, probably 10% Hispanic. And the most I saw of white people was when I went to Knoxbury Farm or Disneyland. It just never <laughs> dawned upon me that there was a whole large population of people out there that didn't look like me. I was under the naive presumption that, you know, we had more African-Americans out there. And then deciding to go to UC Berkeley versus some of the other schools that were interested in me um, was eye-opening because I walked on a campus with 30,000 students and there were very few who looked like me. And I realized that this isn't confident anymore. And I had to understand and appreciate all of the different cultures, all of the different races, all of the different languages. So it was an eye-opening experience for me, but one that was uh, really important for me to have. Did you enjoy going to Cal? I did. The initial transition from Compton to Berkeley was a little scary, but once I got settled in and started to develop my friendships and my relationships, I also tried out for the Cal football team. And after two years of being a walk-on, I was awarded a scholarship. I was able to beat out some of the scholarship players in my position. It was the first actual negotiation that I ever entered in at 19 years old. I went to the head coach and told him that, look, I'm not on scholarship, but I'm playing better than the people that are on scholarship. I'm actually now first team safety, and I believe I should get a scholarship. And Joe Cap, at the time, the famous Cal alum and NFL and Canadian football star, said, give me a week. Let me think about it. He came back a week later and said, you know what, Daryl, you're right. You are deserving of a scholarship. And that's what happened. I wind up getting a scholarship and started for three years captain of the team, which made the experience at Cal all the better. I was not only a student there, but I was able to play on a, on a pretty decent football team at the time. Did, did you ever think of going to the NFL? Thought about it all the time, dreamt of it, and was hoping I would go. But two things kept me from going to the NFL. I had no speed, very big. <laughs> so I tried and I thought about doing a free agent thing. I had a actual agent who sort of shot me around for a bit. I was six feet, 190, and I needed to be faster to play that position. The jump that you go to from high school to college is a pretty big jump. You know, it's faster, bigger. But the jump from college to NFL is like warp speed. If you aren't fast enough to keep up with the speed and the size of the people in the NFL, then you're not going to last very long. So I decided to change my time and use my time and my resources to get into the work field and think about what I wanted to do regarding graduate school. What did you study when you were at Cal? For political science major, my poli sci major, I call it the auto there, 
best, therefore, but major, because that's what I wrote in most of my essays. Although, you know, communist politics are different than what they used to be, they are still having problems with dealing with Eastern Europe and all of the different things that take place. I develop a pretty good niche at being able to write, analyze, and use logic to get my point across. But what I learned, as many people who are better in science majors is when you finish college, you know, typically you have to have something more than just a degree in political science to make a living. When I finished at Cal, I decided I needed to get into graduate school in order to elevate and get into a place where I could I could do more and find me a career. Is, is that when you started thinking about going to law school? Yeah, I actually was... And I had applied to become a highway patrol officer. I was thinking about going into the Oakland Police Department. My older brother finished Biola Merriman with a business degree, but he was excited about being a police officer. So he signed up for LAPD and had talked to me about doing that. And I had gone through the background check and was getting ready to make my way to one of those academies. But while I was doing that, I was working for a law firm called Harding Harding Cook. Ingo and Burgess, really good people, a lot of the Cal alums in that law firm. And they said, hey, have you thought about law school? Did you think about whether or not you wanted to do that? And it had been in the back of my mind. I had internship at the LADA's office the summer before my senior year of high school. I watched the Hillside Strangler trial, got really excited about trial work. But I didn't know a lot of people who were lawyers. Nobody in my family had gone to law school. So it wasn't something that was very tangible for me. But sometime soon after graduating and working in that law firm, I said, you know, let me give it a shot. Let me apply. Let me see if I can get in. Let me see if I can afford it. So I started to develop an interest in going to law school. And before I knew it, I had signed up to start at UC Davis. Did you take any time off between the time you graduated from Cal and the time you went to Davis? I should have, but I didn't. I finished Cal in the fall of 1987. I started working in the January of 1988. And actually, I worked for a year before I started law school in 1989. So when I say take time off, I wish I had taken you know, a year off and spent it in Europe or some foreign country, just sort of learning more about the world. But I worked right through it and wind up heading right into law school in the fall of 89. So when you got to law school, I assume that you were like really pretty clear that you wanted to be a lawyer, that this was the profession you wanted to go into. I did, but my thoughts were that I was going to go to law school and get a job at some big law firm and make a lot of money and go back to L.A. and drive a Porsche up and down the one like those <laughs> lawyers on L.A. Law. Ideas of being this, you know, rich, famous lawyer. It wasn't until I got to law school and I realized that the areas of law that you need to practice in order to do those things weren't very interesting to me. I became really interested in evidence, criminal procedure, criminal law. And when I got a taste of moot court and being on the mock trial team, I just fell in love with trial work. My whole idea of why I was going to law school changed after being there for about a year. You've been practicing law for quite a while now, as we've already established. And what is it that you really enjoy about practicing law? Because, you know, you you know, you're a bright guy. You could do whatever you wanted, really. I enjoy learning something new 
almost on a daily basis. I enjoy being able to help people, to serve, whether it was when I was a prosecutor, helping witnesses get ready for trial, helping victims and surviving victims of crimes understand what we were about to do and why we were doing it. And then for the last 14 years as a defense attorney, helping people get through one of the most difficult times in their lives. Being able to provide some calm in the midst of the storm, being able to help put out some of the fires that are going on in people's lives. I believe that I've been fortunate to have the ability to stay calm in the midst of all of these challenges and all of these tragedies and then being able to help people who are going through it and unfamiliar with the criminal justice system gives me a sense of peace and purpose that is hard to describe. It's been more than I ever imagined and exceeded all my expectations. So it's, it's been a good career. Well, you know, that makes me think of two things. One is that one of the things that I've always admired about you is that you are a picture of calm amidst a storm. You know, I mean, when I see you in court, you know, you're calm. You seem to have everything under control. Certainly you you project that image. And it's something that I've always admired about you. Thank you, Lewis. It's been a blessing that my DNA is sort of made that way. I've practiced making sure that what I do is purposeful and intentional. Uh, I do a lot of yoga. I do a lot of running. I uh, try to make sure I get enough sleep. I believe in order to be in that place of calmness and peace, you have to make sure that you nurture your mind, your body, and your soul. And if you can do that, then that can help your clients. That can help the witnesses. That can help the environment. That can help people just tend to find a way to get closer to those common things that we have versus all of the stuff that we have. And you know, there's enough of that going on. I, I'd rather try to find the peaceful path. Yeah, I agree with you so much on that. I, In my own life and in my own practice, I really work on health and taking care of myself, you know, exercise and diet in as, as best I can. You know, I'm not a fanatic, but I, but I, I do think those things are really, really important in terms of centering oneself when we go into the arena of practicing law for, for all of us. Yeah, I've recognized that in you as well, Lewis. I've known you for years, and I don't think I've ever seen you angry. I don't think I've ever seen you upset. And you've always projected yourself as someone that understands what you're doing and why you're doing it. You've always been purposeful and intentional, and, and that's something I'm sure you've worked on your whole life to develop. You've got some of the natural talent for it, but it takes a really – patient person to sometimes be okay with just listening. I tell people often that sometimes the smartest person in the room is the one that's not saying anything. Yeah, exercising our right to remain silent is often a very good strategy in lots of circumstances, isn't it? Very, very true. The other thing that you just brought up that has always interested me, and you know, since both of us have been on both the prosecution and the defense side of the criminal world, is is this notion of helping people through the system, and how 
that is just such an important role for both a prosecutor and a defense attorney, even though you're on opposite sides of the case. You're not on opposite sides of the people. Very true. It is a place that a lot of people struggle with because inherently we have an ego that says, I'm right, which means you must be wrong. And until we can step out of our ego and realize that I have a particular position and thought, you have a particular position and thought, it's different than mine, but we can find a place where there's some common ground. Would you recommend the law to a young person who is thinking about a career choice? I would, you know, but it would have to be someone that, that wants to challenge themselves in being able to be open to all possibilities. That's what the law does. We all remember from the first day of law school where you're reading the case and you're reading the statute, but what's the most important is the facts and how are they applied to the statute, how are they applied to the case. And understanding the facts means you've got to understand the people that are involved in the case. What advice would you give to someone who was just starting out as in law? Be purposeful, understand and appreciate the wide spectrum of, of people in their lives be passionate about it, be diligent, you know, and be willing to, to put the work and time in it. This isn't the type of work or profession that you can just get away by showing up. Yeah, I think that's true. Something to think about. What about the business of practicing law? You know, we're, we're lawyers, we're trained in evidence, and we're trained in going to court and cross-examination and all those sorts of things. But ultimately, for those of us in private practice, we're running a business. How's that gone for you? That's been uh, very informative and educational as well. It's one of those things that if you don't work for yourself, you never know what it's like to put together a payroll, what it's like to have overhead, what it's like to be able to know what your profit and your loss are, Uh, being able to hire people and being able to have a staff. All those things were foreign to me because all I did was really show up as a prosecutor for 15 years and my paycheck came to me no matter what I did, though I did an awful lot of work. So learning and understanding what it's like to have a business privately. What's the best advice that you've ever gotten? It comes from a lot of different places, a lot of books I've read, stuff that I've learned from my family, from my friends. Uh, It all boils down to me is you can only control what you can control. And you can't let yourself get consumed by worrying about what other people are doing or what other people are thinking. Yeah, I I think that's really important. I, I sort of always think in my own life about what I call the line. You know, like there's like... Like what I can do on my side of the line is what I can do on my side of the line, but I can't do anything on your side of the line. Yeah, it's important to to understand that it'll at least allow you to to have a healthier mind and a healthier spirit. I see so many people battling. What aspect of practicing law do you think is your strong suit? The calmness. My clients and their families always tell me, because they call me a lot, I just want to hear your voice. I just want to hear you tell me that it's going to be, you know, okay, or hear you say my favorite closing remark in a conversation or in an email or text messages. Hang in there. You know, we're going to get through this. Just hang in there. Do you think the legal system is fair? 
fair is subject to interpretation. I believe that in any particular case, there's some fairness that's taking place, but obviously there's some things that have taken place and things that are happening that aren't very fair. Now, I know that you've written a book, and I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the book that you wrote and what prompted you to do that and what it's about. Sure. Years ago in 1992, when I started practicing as a prosecutor in Berkeley, I would read cases and files, some of which were coming out of the campus. And I thought, wow, a lot of people who are being investigated and charged with these crimes, I don't know if they would have been in this position if they had a little information and knowledge, one, about whether or not this was really a crime, and two, if they understood and appreciated what some of these consequences were. Now, now the book that you have published is called A Guide to Understanding the Criminal Justice System, Sex Crimes. And if someone wanted it, they could find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Where else? Correct. If you went to my website, you can um, click a box and it'll take you right to Amazon. My website is www.your, Y-O-U-R, then hyphen, like a dash, defense, D-E-F-E-N-S-E.com. And they can find the book there? They can find the book there. Uh, We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Shifting gears here a little bit. What's your family life like and how has practicing law affected being part of your family? It takes a lot of work and time to have been a prosecutor and been in trial and the same with being a defense attorney and running your own practice. I like to believe that I've been pretty good at keeping a pretty decent balance I coach my my son's baseball and basketball and football teams, and I attended and helped my daughter with all of her extracurricular activities. You've done quite a bit of traveling, and some of that has been law-related. What's that about? Yeah, I was fortunate years ago to be a part of a group of lawyers and judges who went to different countries to help them understand the power of plea bargaining. Was there any place that you particularly enjoyed that you really liked being there? I love Brazil. Why? I thought it was such an incredible mixture of cultures and races. Let's say you came into some real money, a few billion dollars. What, if anything, would you do differently in your life? I would spend more time working with our young people. When I say young people, I mean three, four year from, from preschool, kindergarten, all the way through. I believe if we're going to have a healthier country, we have to create healthier kids, healthier in the schools, healthier in their nutrition, healthier in their peer groups, healthier in their social groups, healthier in their community. Say you had a magic wand. You could change one thing in the world, in the legal world or otherwise. What would that be? I would change the way we see people. I would change our caste system. I would change our our, our beliefs that a person is less than another person because of their biological features. And I would, if I had a magic wand, just wipe away all of that nonsense and this horrible history we have of how we have seen people and how we treated people and have everybody just look at each other as humans 
and be judged and evaluated on your character and your integrity and your purpose rather than any physical feature, any racial feature, any cultural feature, any particular preface, just to see us who we are. Daryl Stallworth, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon on Love Thy Lawyer. It's been a privilege to talk to you. Same here. Privilege to talk to you, Lewis. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Love Thy Lawyer. If you enjoyed listening, please share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast. If you have comments or suggestions, send me an email. I promise I'll respond. Take a look at our website at lovethylawyer.com where you can find all of our episodes, transcripts, photographs, and information. Thanks as always to my guests who share their wisdom. And to Joel Katz for music, Brian Matheson for technical support, and Tracy Harvey. I'm Lewis Goodman. It's not always what you see, it's what you perceive. And if you understand just that fundamental thing that perception and background plays a big role in